This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm delighted to have back with me Alan Freeman, the founder and director of Freeman House Recovery, and Nikki Munitz, its clinical director. Just to remind you, Freeman House is a relatively new high-end addiction rehabilitation center for men. In previous shows, we looked at what the center offers and how it can help. But today the focus is on whether or not we can avoid addiction in the first place. Nikki and Alan, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. We're in the middle of a horrible lockdown. People are feeling sad. Uh, it's, it's a very hard time. But I wondered what are the triggers and what are the stages in which people are vulnerable to addiction? Good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, so that's a great question, actually, especially because considering what we're going through at the moment. And, you know, a big part of the work that I'm doing currently in my private practice is around exactly as you're saying, what can we do to prevent going down the rabbit hole? Because at this moment in time, with people's anxiety and depression skyrocketing, uh, one of the coping mechanisms, unfortunately, that we turn to in order to escape and avoid our reality is often uh, some type of self-destructive behavior, whether it's substance abuse, gambling, shopping, eating, um, and the likes. Uh, it's, it's something that's absolutely like relevant and, and prevalent uh, in what's going on at the moment. And so running workshops around what can you do now as preventative strategies and mechanisms to put in place so that we don't land up needing a facility like Freeman House um, and to have that early intervention um, because as much as, you know, we are here to help clients in an ideal world, we either want people to avoid having to come to us or to, to come to us once and never have to come again. Um, so that's certainly a big thing of, of the work that we do right now. So, I mean, I've been very privileged to work with, uh, corporates at the moment that are very, uh, supportive of the employees and what I've noticed is that everyone that's part of the working world so I'm going to say from 24 upwards is starting to really feel the impact of this lockdown and the pandemic in ways that I don't think they anticipated um, and workshops that were arranged on a monthly basis are now being arranged on a weekly basis in order to just, you know, touch base. Are there certain triggers that can be avoided? And also, um, are there personality types that are more vulnerable? And if so, what are they? That being said, in terms of what you were saying earlier about you know, people trying to rather nip it in the bud before it becomes an issue. I agree wholeheartedly, but I've also noticed that people are seeing rehab centers or recovery houses, so to speak, as a luxury. Um, and I think that's a bad or not a great attitude to have, that if there is an issue, that there is a problem, people need to seek help and, and do it uh, before it. Uh, becomes uh, rock bottom. I absolutely agree with that, and I'm going to explain a bit more about the different types of help that are actually available, even through Freeman House or any other facilities as well. Um, so the types of personalities that I think are being impacted uh, at the moment are extroverts, um, feeling the pinch hectically with this 
being locked down and being distanced from friends, family, being out and about, and also the perfectionists, <laughs> um, perfectionists who, you know, are struggling to put work down at the end of a work day because we're at home. So my work day literally never ends, you know, and I'm finding I'm working later into the night instead of, you know, I'd leave the office, come home and spend time with my family. So for me, those are probably the two biggest um, personality types that I've seen have the greatest impact. Um, and so leading on to what Alan was saying, uh, you know, although we are an addiction treatment center, we also deal with uh, like coexisting conditions like depression and anxiety, and we have outpatient options. So the big thing now is to get support Immediately, don't wait for crisis.com. Get support, start talking about, start building up your, your repertoire of coping mechanisms so that we don't go back into our old conditioning. And especially living in this country, old conditioning is I'm going to have a drink to relax. You talk about conditioning and, and coping mechanisms. So basically people um, come to um, addictions through as a coping mechanism. Do different drugs um, help different kinds of addiction? I mean, would somebody be more quickly taken to drugs or alcohol or prescription medicine or food? What is the relationship between those? It's not necessarily just a coping mechanism. It's also sometimes just trying to escape reality. People don't want to cope. They want to sometimes just escape and not deal with the problems at hand. Um, Nikki, you can answer the rest. So um, what we're seeing is, you know, the older generation, and I'm trying to be politically correct here, um, older generation as in like late 30s, onwards, we have definitely been conditioned to look either for a drink to relax or to take medication. Um, those are kind of the big go-tos. And we feel that number one, alcohol is legal. And number two, prescription meds are, you know, they're given to us by a doctor. So they should be absolutely safe. And I don't have to take any sort of cognizance or accountability. And so we're seeing a huge increase in prescription med addiction. You know, anxiety is this blanket term that everyone throws around. And yes, we all experience anxiety to an extent, but we want to take it away. And the reality is it's appropriate for what we're experiencing at the moment. It's not something we actually want to take away. We just, we want to validate it and accept it as the feeling that we're feeling right now and not try and avoid it. And that's what Alan was explaining, you know, that we want to just, we want it to go away. We want to do something and make it go away and not have to sit in the uncomfortability of what's happening at the moment. So it's not necessarily solving the problem, it's escaping the problem. So you want to help people solve the problem. Um, we look at alcohol, let's just focus, on, maybe let's focus on alcohol and drugs because there are campaigns at schools and I think teenage years, you are vulnerable. Is that the time and place to start identifying problems or can it happen at any time? I mean, if you're vulnerable once, can you be vulnerable again? Can it happen at any point in your life or do you have to be an addictive personality or can you take, try something once? How does it work? Um, I think with well, youngsters, teenagers and kids, I think, you know, they all experiment and they all try. And um, I heard a speaker once say that it's not, you can't help them to abstain because it's not realistic. You can't say absolutely not because their friends are trying it and there's peer group pressure, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think as a parent, you need to explain to your young, certain things can be tried, but there are going to be consequences. You must rather explain the consequences than just, um, you know, be hard and say absolute abstinence is what is necessary. So, you know, that old saying of prevention is better than cure is absolutely true, especially considering that there is no cure for addiction. And once we've crossed that invisible line, there is no going back from that. And that's when we're having to address living a life of abstinence, as Alan's discussing. Um, and so what we want to do with our teenagers that are experimenting is to educate them and to understand, yes, it's appropriate and it's normal and we want to okay it. And at the same time, we need them to understand if there is a genetic predisposition, you know, what are the actual impacts of taking the substances that they are and then you know at the same time be providing those other coping mechanisms the healthy coping mechanisms so that they're not relying uh, on the substance in order to cope or escape their reality but rather that they're doing it to try it and to have fun as opposed to deal with their stress or their anxiety or depression um, because that's when we're heading into the realm of problems. And and I think we're seeing that very much so with grown-ups now because we've never addressed that when they were teenagers and now they don't know how to deal with those feelings as adults and we're finding ourselves going down the rabbit hole. The problem is we don't know who will be addicted after experimenting and who won't. So it is a bit of Russian roulette at some at some stage. But once you've experimented, there is no going back. Having teenagers myself, it is quite an interesting question, and it is a difficult one to answer. You know, they will try it, and, you know, being an addict myself, I am a little bit uh, concerned and neurotic having teenagers and what to tell them they can do and what to tell them they can't do. And I think, like Nikki said, the most important thing is education, and as well as education um, teaching them the coping mechanisms and explaining the consequences for their actions. Um, yes, it is a bit like playing Russian roulette. You're absolutely correct in that. Um, and as parents, we do hold our breath in not knowing, you know, will our children make those healthy decisions um, or will they find themselves in trouble? And and not necessarily even in addiction. As we know, when we've had a few drinks, our decision-making ability is somewhat impaired. Will they get behind the wheel drunk? Will they get in the car with someone else who's had a drink? Will they, you know, get themselves into some type of dangerous situation and and I think that it's very scary as we see our children grow up and and being able to take those risks um and the hope is that we've instilled enough uh, self-esteem ability that they are making choices that are life affirming um and being able to take those healthy risks in order to grow and develop as into young adults um but it is a definitely scary experience um and i think even knowing all of the risks i mean for me it was certainly like that i, I my eldest brother is an addict and i grew up seeing him uh, going down that rabbit hole and i vowed i would never do that and yet i did the same and worse <laughs> so there isn't really you know, any type of recipe that can help us avoid that. And so for me, that prevention, doing this work up front to say, how can we help you cope with your feelings? What do you need to do? You mentioned um, 30-year-olds turning to certain kind of um, substances. Are we more vulnerable at a certain age? Or can you be vulnerable at any age? Can you be 60 and suddenly vulnerable? I think each individual person is uh, unique and you can't really pinpoint a 
age or a time in one's life when one is vulnerable. You know, you get addicts that become addicted to substances at the age of 12, but then we're dealing with guys that try things that for the first time at age of 35 and become addicted. So in my opinion, I don't think there's a specific age. Obviously, teenagers are the ones because of the peer pressure and what's going on with social media, et cetera, that like Nikki says, we need to, you know, definitely educate and, and, and help, you know, the teenagers to, to uh, articulate their feelings and let us know what's going on. But I mean, I myself was an addict from a very young age. Um, and like I said, there are people that we, we've got guys that come in at the age of 70. I think it's more situational. You know, yeah. I've got divorced. I've changed careers. I moved to another country. Somebody died. And that's why it's so prevalent at the moment because we're going through such a trauma as a, like a world. And so people don't know what to do with that. Um, and so that creates the risk. It's less about the age and more about, you know, some type of life changing experience, um, yeah, that creates that. Mm. So ultimately what you're talking about is having coping skills to deal with whatever situation can arise, that our coping abilities are not to, to default to taking the pain away, but to allowing the pain and dealing with it in a more appropriate and kind of long-term way. So I think all that remains then for Nikki and Ellen is for you to give us contact details and um, just if anybody, if you want to just kind of once again um, pinpoint some signs of people if they are worried about the um, signs that people should be looking out for and if they'd like to contact you. I think just going back to what I said much earlier, is it's important to have the coping skills, but it's also very, very important to not be ashamed, not be embarrassed, not um, beat oneself up if one is noticing that that you know, we are drinking too much or using too many prescription meds to seek help as soon as possible. As soon as any trigger, I mean, any, anything pinpoints that you have an issue, like seek help. Absolutely. We want to get rid of the shame and to know that, um, we're going through a crisis collectively and to get help is nothing shameful or embarrassing about that, no matter how you're choosing to deal with it at this point in time. And we at Freeman House are absolutely there to assist and our emergency line is zero. 078-421-1042 and that we will answer 24-7. And if anybody missed that, of course, you are welcome to get hold of me and you always know how to get hold of me. Thank you very much um, to Nikki Munitz and Alan Freeman for joining me. Just to remind you, Alan Freeman is the founder and director of Freeman House and Nikki is its clinical director. Thanks, guys. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you.